Zeitgeist Turkey, coming to you weekly from Istanbul. Your smart guide to the state of Turkey. Welcome to Zeitgeist Turkey. This is Jansu Çamlıbert, coming to you from Istanbul. I'm recording this episode at my house in Istanbul with Jan Selçuk'i on the phone with me. When we started this journey four weeks ago, we were hoping to keep on getting together in our little studio to record these episodes. It was just about the time as the first coronavirus positive case was confirmed by the health ministry, but then things quickly escalated, leaving us no option but to find a formula to do this uh, in a new format. So at this point, um, there is nothing much we can do than hoping our DIY technique is not bothering you too much as listeners. Though I'm feeling that this period of a half voluntary, half official quarantine uh, will probably last longer than expected. So we might have to consider professional equipment to be deployed at our houses soon. Um, we'll see. John, hi. Good to talk to hi. you. Hi, Jansu. Likewise. First of all, I would like to extend my condolences for your grandfather to you and your family. His death had nothing to do with COVID-19 as far as I know. Uh, but because of COVID-19, you could not properly say goodbye to him. All the funerals and burials are inevitably affected by the outbreak. Again, I'm deeply sorry for your loss. Um, I hope you all recovered from this trauma quickly. Uh, thank you, Jansu. Indeed, the isolation rules are challenging us in all walks of life, including but not limited to funerals and occasions like this. Uh, it's quite a bit of a challenge, uh, which hopefully soon will be over. John, today, as we speak, we are officially in lockdown in Istanbul, which will be lifted tonight at midnight. As a reminder, today is Sunday and we are recording our episode today. And the government's plan is to get back to the routine by Monday morning, when this episode will actually be online. Although I certainly welcome the decision of a curfew in Istanbul, plus other 30 major cities in Turkey, the way this was announced triggered all my concerns for further spread of the virus. By the way, uh, I think the announcement came around um, 10 p.m. Um, on Friday night. Minutes after the announcement, people flooded the streets and made long lines in front of the supermarkets, bakeries, gas stations, you name it. And because there was a time gap between the time of the curfew announcement and the second announcement on which services will be running during the curfew, this chaos actually took place. A comprehensive definition of the curfew was lacking in the announcement. And that's what made people take to the streets. And after the social media was loaded with the pictures of panic and chaos, and especially in Istanbul, then I saw Interior Minister Suleyman Soylu, like a fireman, appearing on news channels one by one to say that people actually should not worry because pharmacies, bakeries, water supply companies will be working as usual. Poor planning at its best. Judging over the panic we saw over only a 48-hour curfew, thinking of a longer one, which would last several weeks, really gives me chills, John. 
This looks like the perfect method of pushing the disease spread even more rapidly among the panic buyers. It was almost like a social experiment in Turkey, Friday night. How do we push hundreds of people outside without taking necessary precautions and let them fight over a pack of chips? Colossal mess up on a number of levels. The timing was absolutely too late, only two hours before the curfew start, as you, as you mentioned. The proper way to do this was obviously announce this a couple of days in advance and give people time to process what this actually means and give people time to actually be aware of the rules of the curfew. Look, on Friday night, even though the curfew announcement and the rules came at different times, it wouldn't have made a difference if they were announced at the same time because only two hours to the curfew itself, it's impossible to communicate this. This was, a, again, a colossal mess-up, and actually it ruined the diligent efforts that the Ministry of Health put forward in the uh, month. But looking at the way this was handled, John, so it seems to me, and I have no you know, special knowledge of this, but I don't think everybody within the government was equally informed as well. Because, like you said, after people rushed to street, Interior Minister Mr. Soido went from TV station to TV station trying to calm people down, To me, it appeared that he wasn't all too well informed either. So I think this is not John, only I a... mean, uh, Sorry to interrupt, John, but is that normal? The announcement is made by the Ministry of Interior in the first place. And you are talking about the person who is responsible from the ministry. If he doesn't know the details of the rules of what was going to be proposed to the public, who would know? That's a fair question, but there is no right answer to that question. And let me tell you why. If he knew, then this is a total miscommunication on his part. If he didn't know, then this is a much bigger problem in terms of coordination within the government. So either outcome, either answer to that question actually doesn't really draw a very nice picture. And going back to what we talked about in our two previous episodes, it feels like there still isn't a robust plan to deal with this uh, crisis because, you know, we keep repeating this. This is not only a crisis of public health, this is also a crisis of social life, it's a crisis of economic life, of unemployment, and a robust plan should have all these different aspects covered, working well uh, with each other. And Friday night showed us that actually there is a lot of incoherence in the in the strategy. You know, we have bits and pieces of strategy by different departments, but these don't communicate well with each other. The footage from Friday night was really worrying. And I myself had to go out because we had to buy water. John, as you said, uh, we have been discussing about the lack of robust plan by the Turkish government since the beginning of the outbreak in Turkey. At Zeitgeist Turkey, we have been also trying to analyze the crisis response and the crisis management record of the government since the beginning, week by week, if I may say. So then the test numbers was an issue, whether enough number of people suspected were tested to find out a more healthy picture about where the country is heading. And then, of course, the government for a long time concealed the demographic distribution of the positive cases and the death toll. Then the government blocked the donation campaigns of the two major opposition municipalities, namely Istanbul and Ankara. And while all this was happening, it became evident that President Erdogan has been resisting calls from the Science Council to impose longer 
and probably more meaningful curfews in especially Istanbul, where more than 60% of the positive cases in Turkey live, a city of more than 60 million people. Let me remind this for our audience who might have little knowledge about where Istanbul stands population-wise. Istanbul's population is almost the same as the population of whole Netherlands. This city is more populated than all the mid-sized countries in the European Union. Let me try to break down the questions here, to walk them through the uh, the political scene in Turkey as we speak. This evident battle of Erdogan with the CHP-run municipalities by using the outbreak as a major tool to both curb their powers and leave them vulnerable to water criticism. How do you think this might actually affect the perception of the opposition, especially CHP, the main opposition party, in the eyes of the general public? It doesn't do anything harmful for the main opposition. Because at the end of the day, people actually see that CHP main opposition municipality, uh, local administrations are really trying to uh, come up with creative ways to circumvent obstacles uh, put in front of them by the government and help the public uh, in their own state. This will only hurt AK Parti and President Erdogan. Because at the end of the day, when we're out of this mess in two, three months, people will do the calculation, do the math, and evaluate their position. Are we better off right now or not? And if they're worse off, which is likely to be the case if things go the way they are, then they're inevitably going to blame the government. They're not going to blame the local administration. Because at the end of the day, it's the job of the government to make sure that people, the citizens, are taken care of in times of national and international crises. So... It's up to the government to make use of every tool it has at its disposal, one of which is obviously local administration and municipalities. If they fail to use them wisely, then they will be the ones to blame. President Erdogan's approval ratings were, I think, at their best back in October, when he launched the military operation in northern Syria, supposedly to wipe off the PKK from the area. Well, that did not happen. It was good for the optics for a few weeks. Then, of course, that was forgotten, and his ratings were down. In terms of his approval ratings, are we back to the October 2019 threshold? Let me first talk about, you know, what's happening globally. I mean, globally in March, we almost saw every single world leader increase their uh, approval rate. Because in times of panic, people are inclined to return to their tribal instinct and support their leader uh, because they need they need stability. This also happened in Turkey uh, in the March polls of many polling firms, including ours. But in the poll that we did in the first week of April, that wasn't the picture any longer. Almost every single leader in Turkey actually lost ground on their approval rating, including President Erdogan. His success rate, based on our poll, decreased around 10 percentage points, in fact. And where is he right now in terms of the the actual number? So the way we ask the question is, how successful do you find the political actor? And uh, out of 10, he's scoring around 5.2, 5.3 right now. That's down from uh, 5.6. So almost a 10% uh, decrease from March uh, to April. But this is the case for every political leader in Turkey right now. And the reason I think we're getting these results is that in Turkey right now, people are losing their faith in politics. Can President Erdogan sustain his current popularity if he continues to manage the coronavirus crisis the same way he has been doing in the last month? 
I think it will be difficult for him uh, to maintain his popularity at this level if things go the way they are right now. Well, the health side of the issue, not so much, but more on the economic side of the crisis management. In terms of the rivals of President Erdogan, since last year's local elections, Istanbul Mayor Ekrem İmamoğlu has been Erdogan's closest contender in majority of the polls. Is that correct? That's correct and that's still the case. Right. So this fact actually has been giving boost to beliefs that the only one who could come close to beating Erdogan in the next presidential election would be Mayor İmamoğlu. Do you see the coronavirus outbreak repositioning Mayor İmamoğlu in that spot as the closest contender to President Erdogan in a possible election? Absolutely. I think he has a good chance to turn this into a more viable presidential bid in three and a half years. But apart from Mr. Imamoğlu, I would also caution for Mr. Mansur Yavaş, the mayor of Ankara, who has been sort of laying low but moving fast in terms of his popularity both in Ankara and in Turkey. In the post-coronavirus political landscape, you might have a few more contenders for Mr. Erdogan. What about the new parties, Babacan and Davutoğlu-led new parties, Deva and Future Party? Any chance you see that they might actually push themselves forward in this period? It looks to me as outsiders of the parliament, at a time when even being inside the parliament as a political party does not make sense. Their situations are a little tougher, right? It's much tougher, so I completely agree with you. I mean, it's already difficult as it is to be a opposition party in Turkey, particularly an opposition party that used to be our party management. I mean, you're already shunned from most of the media. But at a time like this, when all eyes are on COVID-19-related issues, it's very difficult for these guys to make the new cycle. However, having said this, this is the lay of the land right now. So... If you want to do politics right now in Turkey, you need to come up with creative ways to make sure that your message gets through. And I think both for Deva party of uh, Mr. Babacan and future party of Mr. Davutoğlu, I think both of them are failing right now in making their messages heard. So from your analysis and your observations, I understand the general framework of the politics in Turkey shall not be changed during this outbreak. So we have President Erdogan as still the most popular leader of Turkey, Ekrem İmamoğlu following him in the second rank, possibly, as you said, Mansur Yavaş, the mayor of Ankara, appearing as a viable candidate in the next years. But other than that, the political parties per se do not really have the means to change the course of politics. No, they don't. And the reason is simple, because all these three names that you just listed are in positions to deliver services, deliver relief. So at a time like this, if you're not in a position to deliver actionable services, relief to the coronavirus, then rhetoric will only get you so far. And these three people are the ones that control the largest budget in the land right now. And now there is this judicial reform package, which is designed to get some more empty spaces in prisons, if I may very bluntly summarize. We just realized that this package is becoming something else and other pieces of legislation are being thrown into the package. Apparently, the government is attempting further social media restrictions. 
with this package. Um, did you have a chance to look at those? I did, John. So uh, I, I took a look at the draft legislation. It may prove problematic on two fronts. One is a more business side technical issue about you know data localization of for social media uh, companies. To summarize it very shortly. The Turkish government is asking social media platforms to store using information, Turkish using information in Turkey, which is very difficult for these companies because they're all data management is centrally done. And this is the way actually they uh, get value out of data that they have. And this was actually why the main reason why PayPal left a couple of years ago, uh, because, you know, it didn't make sense for them to keep store their Turkey related information uh, in servers in Turkey. The second problematic area in the draft legislation now social media platform will be treated like any other media. So any restriction regulation that applies to regular media or online media, let's say, will now be also uh, applicable to uh, social media. Depending on how you use this, uh, it can be quite restrictive uh, for social media usage. Right. So, John, we are coming to a close, but there is something else I wanted to discuss with you this week. A member of parliament from the opposition People's Democratic Party, HDP, submitted a parliamentary question based on an assumption that Istanbul registered more deaths than usual at this time of the year, and the excess is higher than the number of confirmed to have died from the coronavirus. According to his research, 1,218 more people than last year died in Istanbul this year during the period between March 16th and April 3rd, but only 210 coronavirus deaths were registered in the city during those three weeks. Could it really be just coincidence or could the Turkish government be actually hiding the real coronavirus death toll? There are actually two factors that might be contributing to a lower death ratio in Turkey. One is obviously the fact that Turkey is a much younger population. And the second is that uh, Turkish health system uh, has a better capacity than many of the uh, European uh, countries. Now, having said this, the figures provided, the, the mismatch that you just uh, underlined, begs an explanation uh, by the government. There are two sensible explanations from where I stand. Either the government is concealing the numbers or the government actually does not for a fact know that the increased number of deaths are indeed from COVID-19. In either case, the discrepancy in these figures requires a transparent explanation uh, from Minister of Health. Exactly. And this would be all for this week, John, indeed. I'm still keeping my fingers crossed that we will be able to talk about other files in the next episodes to come. And hopefully we will get to all those files once the virus is somewhat under control in Turkey, which is definitely not the case today, Turkey is among the top countries where the coronavirus still peaks at an alarming rate, and uh, certainly we cannot be indifferent to that. Hopefully, we'll get news of more people recovering this week in Turkey and in the whole world. Until next Monday, I would say keep washing your hands. John? Hopefully soon enough we will start talking about different issues and soon enough I'll be able to ask different questions in my surveys. Until then, like you said, keep washing your hands and try to stay indoors as much as you can. Goodbye. See you next week. <laughs>